Lukey, you look tired. You should do the sniffy. So, Luke, what do you want to talk about? I want to talk about how to handle stress and uh, how to kind of find your spiritual grounding again after maybe kind of feeling a little bit all over the place. What? You feel all over the place in relationship to your Lord? No. (laughs) I refuse. There is so much in this world to complain about. And I'm I'm realizing like making a like I was getting in the complaining mode. So I'm trying to do the conscious thing where you're like, okay, when someone asks me like, man, how's it going? Even if I feel like overwhelmed, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say, you know what? Like, honestly, things are good. I'm good. I'm okay. My kids are healthy. My kids are happy. Like, yeah, yeah. Life could be a thousand times better, but it could be a thousand times worse. And I can hang with where it is right now. So I'm good. Your Lukey's good. Lukey's good. You know, it's funny that you bring that up. I've been really thinking about that uh, over the past couple of days. And I spoke with uh, Carla Molina. She's the uh, wonderful executive coach that I used to work with, who if any of you guys. Oh, I remember uh, you talking about her. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think her name is pronounced Carlos Mencia. <laughs> and she oh, stole my joke. Uh, <laughs> I hope she gets angry at you because of that. Uh, I went and I um, met with her last Friday, and she wore a Mexico jersey because it was the day oh. of the U.S. game. It was so funny. As soon as she, I, I, she's just the best, and and I laughed so hard. And then I was like, Haha. and then we won two nothing, and it was glorious. I do you want to know how wonderful the day that was for me? I want to hear. Do the you whole need thing. To, Okay, so we'll get back to the positive thing and blah blah blah. Let's talk about Luke drinking without indicting myself (laughs) i wrapped things up for work i had some really good meetings i finished up said meetings and then i uh was like you know what it's time it's time so i got into my outfit that i get into for games when it's cold outside i bought a knit hat at the american outlaws night before party and I went out and I was and went to meet my buddy um, Marty and his friend um, Jason, who listens to to uh, to the podcast, and their other two friends whose names Rust gave me. Now I feel awful about that. And it was great, my buddy um, Marty. You know, one of my good friends from uh, my the college I go to now. Uh, oh, is came, that Notre Dame? Yeah, he came out from um, Chicago, and uh, I drank. So, that w- was the game in Cincinnati? Yes, yes, it was. It was at the new stadium. I went with, uh, and I met Aunt, um, Anthony, Aunt, uh, the guy from Unfocus, from Focus, and then our buddy um, Nathan came out. Who I oh, I need to get back to Nathan. He sent me a text message about coming on on the podcast. He'd be a phenomenal guest. Um, I've tried to get him on here a couple times, and I will continue to say no, even though I don't know him. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a good guy. He's such a good guy. I, one time you couldn't do it. I was definitely trying to find people. I don't remember when it was. And I was like, dude, you want to uh, come on? And he couldn't. And I was bummed. I'm not going to say how long I was drinking for, but I'll just say the game was at nine. And um, I paced myself. <laughs> I The U.S. played a phenomenal game, and people are, like, losing their minds over how well they played. I'll be honest. I don't remember that being a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember being so happy the whole time and having so much fun. I've gone back and watched most of the second half. I need to watch the whole thing again. It was one of the, it was honestly, I've talked to, to a couple people who, who were there 
one of the best things I've ever been to in my life in terms of like sports. It's, it's not even close. The environment there, the way the national anthem, it was the energy was it was a, it was a sold out stadium. The energy was unreal. It was just such a good time. The racism was kept at a minimum. No, it's it's trust me. There's, I mean, I'm sure there's a little bit of that there with some people, but most American um, soccer fans are relatively uh, conscious about that stuff. For the most part, when it comes to countries that the U.S. has, what I would call in reality sensitive relationships with. It's kept pretty calm, at least from a lot of the U.S. fans. I mean, and all of the Mexican fans were, I mean, I took pictures with a bunch. They were so nice. They were so much fun. Like, they were just, I mean. See, to me, that's what is awesome. When you're, like, you're going nuts for your team. They're going nuts for their team. But no one's going nuts against each other. Like, it becomes, like, this whole other level. Because I've been in place, you know, I've been to Philadelphia during during an Eagles game. Insert Bill Burr rant here. It's not a nice place. <laughs> it is not a nice place. And there there are things, there is always this impetus within the sports of like, the way I prove my love for my team is by hating you on your team. And not just your players, but your fans too. And I've always hated that. It's the, you know, the, the ugly side, the underbelly of the rivalries. But, but man, when a game, when you can acknowledge like it was good and it was awesome and it was fair for the most part because, you know, whatever. It's just, it's it's awesome. It's why I love sports so much. Yeah, it's, and especially with, I mean, the, I mean, listen, there are some international fans, and I'm sure there are a lot of American fans who can be put into this in, into this group as well, who make it unmiserable. See the last time the U.S.'s uh, A-team played the Mexican A-team over the summer stuff was thrown on the field. It was, you know, it was kind of atrocious there's a mexican chant i just say that there's sorry there's a chant that a lot of mexican fans do when the goalie kicks the ball that's um very homophobic and it's kind of horrific that they all do it and the team is actually being punished now because of it they had to play they had to play two home games to uh empty stadiums oh wow yeah it's i mean it's a lot of people who do it (laughs) so um uh but for the most part, like I love – this is one of the reasons why the World Cup is so much fun. You go to any game. You go to the bar. Everyone is just happy. Everyone's just happy. Unless they're English fans. Then they're going to be kind of miserable. Um, and act like they hate international um, soccer up until the World Cup, until their team's good. Then they're like all like – then they act like it's their God-given right to just you know be the best at this. I have a whole thing about that. It kind of bothers me. Anywho, but for the most part, like I remember being on um, Denver, hanging out with people from Africa, going to the Netherlands bar during the Spain um, Netherlands game. Everyone's just so happy and such good moods, and it's just a party. It's just it's a fun um, celebration at its best. What's great about this is it's actually grounded in something, and for the most part, it's an experience of your culture in this context. And so I've heard people who love going to the away games, say, out of like Honduras or out of Panama, because you just have these great experiences of like the way they have their stadiums, the way they sell food, the like all the food that you eat, the hotels. Everyone's just in a good mood. And I think with the Mexico team, though, we have an intense, an intense rivalry between those between those two teams. I mean, it's pretty intense in terms of international soccer. It's one of the more intense ones in in the world. U.S. There's versus a, Mexico, and yes. who else? And who you said two? Teams. I would. I mean, there's the Brazil and all of South America, 
England and Germany, Spain and the Netherlands, any country where there's any sort of European history that's relatively <laughs> recent, it can get a little bit much, especially out in the former uh, USSR countries. That gets actually pretty nuts. But this one on the soccer field is pretty intense because for the most part in our part of the world where we qualify from the World Cup from in North and Central and uh, North and Central America and the Caribbeans, we are, for the most part, up until now, Canada's super good now. We've been the top two two teams, and we played them in the 2002 World Cup, and we beat them 2-0 in the first um, knockout round, and it was a very, very, very big deal, like a very big deal. So there's a whole thing now called Dos Acero where we beat them 2 nothing, and it happened in the 2001 World Cup. Sorry, 2001 World Cup qualifier home game. Happened in 2002. Happened in, two, in the 2005 World Cup qualifier game. Happened in the 2009 one. And then it happened again in 2013. We lost in 2016. All home games besides the World Cup one. In like in Columbus, actually. So they moved it to here in um, Cincinnati, and we won 2 nothing. So the fact that I saw a Dos Acero game is like, I mean, I lost my shit when they, when they <laughs> went. To, I, mean, I mean, but like everyone did because it's, that's, it's that scoreline. It's the most famous scoreline in, in American soccer. Say it to any American um, soccer fan, they know exactly what you are um, talking about. And it carries weight. I've heard, I've like heard of the Mexican fans talk about when they were kids how that two to nothing on a loss to the United States was like a big moment in their life, like how like their family it just like it's like they it's like a tragedy within. I mean, again, all the context of sports. I remember reading this like one article where after they lost, the dad, this guy said his dad turned like turned turned off the uh, TV, brought like all of his kids around and got like real serious and goes. This is the lesson that we should never depend upon other people for our own happiness. <laughs> Whoa, Dad. Whoa. I know. Think about that. But that's, that's how big of a deal it is, though. Yeah. So this episode of Catching Foxes is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? If you're a fan of this podcast, it's odds are it's either A, your job, or B, a breakup. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You'll be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. It's true. It's super fast. It's pretty awesome. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. I think this is one of my favorite parts of what BetterHelp offers because if you're having, let's say you have like a sex addiction or you're, or you're struggling with what else do people have addictions to you know um jeopardy they've got the right people who can help you with uh in in the right areas and i think that's very very cool this service is available for clients worldwide so all of our uk friends you guys are good you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist you'll get timely thoughtful responses plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy and i know all of our introverts on here love that better help is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if you need to. It's more affordable than traditional therapy and love this fact right here. Financial aid is available. BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Uh, I love this. It's over at BetterHelp.com slash slash reviews. But if you are ready to go, go to BetterHelp.com slash foxes. That's BetterHelp.com slash foxes and join over 2 million people. That is a lot. I mean, you know, not as many downloads 
we have, but still 2 million people is a lot who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, they are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Special offer for Catching Foxes listeners, that's you. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash foxes, and get 10% off your first month. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this here episode of Catching Foxes. I actually, I uh, may have drugged out a couple people as I was leaving. I FaceTimed my mom and uh, Aaron and Emily and uh, Christina. I think she had to leave on the, and so I was like FaceTiming them. And I got a bunch of people to like cheer up for my mom and stuff. <laughs> it was awesome. And then I, uh, I FaceTimed Steve the missionary. <laughs> <laughs> he's a huge U.S. soccer fan. It was, yeah. Sorry, now I'm just I'm just starting to blab. It was amazing. It was honestly one of the best nights of my entire life. Wedding, birth of a child, number three, two nothing U.S. win. What would be your top five? Like top five on moments in your, and put the birth of your kids in one thing. When I lost my virginity, Luke, you were there. It's <laughs> true. <laughs> <Sure. laughs> Steve, you were there. You remember? <laughs> no, let me think. Let me think. That was a line from Tommy Boy, by yeah. the way, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Let me put some context under that one. But also, we all hung out in your bedroom afterwards. Uh, w- indeed, indeed, indeed. I don't. I don't what are my top fives? I mean, my wedding was incredible. <laughs> oh, sorry to ask you for the top five things in your life that were enjoyable. You didn't say enjoy. You said the top five. I mean, like, yeah, but like top five rank- things in your life that I was like, this was so much fun. This was awesome. Yeah, but now I'm nervous and I'm going to forget something and someone's going to be like, you mean the time that we spent in each other's arms didn't matter? And I'll be like, no, John, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My time so, spent with Adam was more important to me. Yeah. So, yeah, the wife and kids, definitely. I mean, like, those are crazy times. But, you know, the birth of Kateri, that was so contentious. You know, she's her heart is stopping every time my wife had a contraction and emergency C-section and all the drama around that and then hearing that it's a boy or it's a girl and my wife just going oh and i got that on video and you just hear her going oh that's cool um yeah that that's a that's a pretty dang exciting moment for me um you know it's funny cuz the older i get the less it's about things that happened to me or i did and it's more of like other people like people i'm with like my kids and my wife um, yeah, yeah. Going sure. to New York and getting COVID. Uh, going to New York was probably one of the greatest experiences of my life. Going to Austria. Do I put all of Austria in one category? Or do I get to pick yeah, one thing? I, I would because I, I'm going to group that together. Oh, so amazing. Um, zero responsibility. Except for the fact that I was in charge of the trash crew. Should never have done that. Yeah, but you got good uh, drinking money out of that, though. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I spent it all on drinking, so I had nothing to <laughs> yeah. show for it. No, it's exactly what you should have done. It's the whole point of that. Yeah. But I was in charge, which meant, like, during the week, I had to go get the trash out of all the offices. It was awful. Oh, that's dumb. I know. And they're like, previous trash people came up with, like, songs. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, nope. I'm an AMDG. <laughs> Thank We're you. We're way too cool for this. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we were for like, like things like that. I'm like, that's dumb. And then there are other things where I wish we had maybe given a, where we perhaps put in a little bit more effort just so we had some other memories. Mm, uh huh. You know what I mean? Like, 
We did one of the lip syncs, and it was so much fun. And I'm like, we should have done that more. We should have like because it was just so much fun. Yep. And like, yep. I, I show I, the, that is the number one thing that I show people who don't know a- AMDG. Why I try to explain it is that because it's on YouTube. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> Back when it was okay to make your half Pakistani friend come out to a whole entire crowd with someone blowing a horn to announce them with a little turban and uh, (laughs) (laughs) we should probably. The best part part is it was an Indian song. (laughs) I know. And we took our Pakistani friend and we're like, "That's close enough." (laughs) How awful is that? It's pretty awesome though. (laughs) I know. And it's, it's. I was trying to show Aaron, and I think she appreciated it because the amount of inside jokes that I had shared with her, mm-hmm. she was mm-hmm. like, she got it, you know. So it kind of like made sense to her because the whole time you hear John just giggling, <laughs> like yeah. they're always recording. It was, <laughs> it was perfect. It really was. Oh yeah, yeah. All right. Um, my top five. Do, do you have anything else you want to add? No, nah, that's it. Sorry, you don't like top five list. Sorry for the content I'm trying to create in the segments. Whatever, BuzzFeed. <laughs> I thought that my wedding was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was a, lot, a whole lot of drinking, a whole lot of dancing. We all had we all had fun. Dean Wade have like a video of that somewhere that I need to, to get off of them. Um, so that would be one. Two would be the birth of Everly. The whole experience was just nuts and wonderful. Uh, three would probably be. Oh, man. Um, there's a moment in Idaho that was very powerful for me. So I'll put that there. Four. You, okay, so the U.S. game may not be my top ten. Four would be Austria. Five. Sorry, my top five. My top five. Five would probably be there's like a moment in college. You were in Austria where me, John, and Adam were drinking in the house, and it was like a cool but like somewhat warm still fall night. We had all the doors open and all the windows open. I, I don't know. If the, I think we, we may have had the door. I don't know why the doors were open. But I feel like they were, which would have been weird. So I guess they weren't. But Because I, I think it was just like such a nice night. It was a perfect night. Yeah, they have, we, we had, had the uh, screen door on the front that's door. That's right. Remember? That's right. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we just had like a great playlist. It was like a perfect playlist for that point in time we're playing a drinking game people were stopping in and out of the house because there was a party over at the brother's house and we're like yeah we're not going to go to that but people were like stopping by and i just remember having like having a moment and just being like i love everything about my life right now (laughs) like like i just i I remember like wanting to savor that moment being like i Uh just love this like i'm i was the most and, and there were other times that have come very close to this, but I felt like there was that was like an exact moment in my um, life where like the person I was on the inside matched the person that I was on the outside, and everything just felt comfortable. Yeah, and there, there was, was this night. There was this night when I was in China in Shanghai, and I had just gotten full body massage. This is gonna sound weird. <laughs> oh my gosh! No, no, this is gonna sound weird, but I'm yeah, describing yeah, it, the same vibe. Gonna, <laughs> gonna already there. So the night before, the host family took me to get my feet massaged with a bunch of other people. It's like a thing you do, and I go there, and we're all having fun. And then the next night, I was gonna go to a different family's house for dinner, but they were running late, so they sent me to this whole body massage play or the same place, but 
they paid for like a whole body massage thing. And I remember getting it and I walked out and I had this amazing beer and and I walked out of the place and it was the perfect night. You know, it was one of those things where the, the temperature is perfect, the wind in your hair. I was on a, a a scooter that they gave me, a little motor scooter thing. Those are the best. They really were. It was like a straight up Vespa. And I'm like, I totally forgot about this. I was cruising around everywhere in that thing. And so I'm on this. <laughs> Hello, Chinese. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I greet you. Ni hao, ni hao ma. And, uh, and I just remember at one point, I'm like looking up to the heavens and I'm like, I am here doing illegal missionary work in China and getting massaged. Which this is, is also going illegal. really well. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a dirty massage. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. That just... was extra. <laughs> I was like, whoa, I work in ministry. I don't have that kind of money. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I it was know, one I, of those it, feelings where yeah, all is sorry, right sorry, in the world. Kind of thing. sorry to no. ruin your feeling. <laughs> no, sorry I to am, ruin I, your I feelings, bad. weirdo. No, I feel bad about that. No, I, that, and that's um, I had a moment like that. I remember uh, we all went to gosh, one of the fall breaks. I don't know where the heck you may have had to stay back. I don't remember some fall break. We went to we went to Don and Amy Hines's house. Yeah, I wasn't there for that. And it was like me, Kissinger, Mike Hahn, uh, not Tracy Oliver, uh, Ashley Oliver, um, Ryan Walsh was there, which is great. (laughs) Rita, was that her name? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Um, that Rita, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, really, I think it's Rita. Like, she's very nice. I always thought she was nice. Um, I thought you meant that Italian girl that was way out of my league. That I definitely took on AMDG date night. And I was like, this girl's way out of my league. <laughs> was she in Stella? No, she was Perpetual Light. Who was that? Her name was Rita. She had those big, beautiful Italian eyes. I thought Perpetual Light had a lot of attractive girls in the house. Oh, they had only attractive girls in the house. <laughs> they were like, oh, you guys are clearly like, yeah, if we weren't here, we'd be the king. If this wasn't, if we were at any other school, we own everything. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Aaron would have, Aaron, like, when you see, like, Aaron, we, we go back and forth about, because, I mean, uh, like, what household would she be in had she been at Franciscan? And I, and she thinks it's the little flowers, because that's where all of her friends in um, Denver were all in that. I'm like, Aaron, I'm going to be honest. College Aaron, if you're there, you're probably in perpetual light. Was she perpetually lit? A little bit. <laughs> A little bit. One day, your wife, you have to interview your wife, because I want to hear... How college Aaron then goes to cloister Aaron. It is the most a Carmelite. I tried. I tried to get her. I and I. I. This is like my fault. I tried to get her on um, Cameron Frad's pod podcast, and uh, and Cameron's like, yeah, just like have her like um, email me. And I think Aaron. Aaron's not like me, where she's like, I will talk to anyone about like about like anything. I'll talk to people about me. Yeah, she got really like she's like, no, I just can't, I just can't. I was like, okay, crap. Well, I kind of already told her that you're going to because we like, we talked about it, and she, I mean, we weren't married till she told me everything, and I was like, you need to tell people this. Like, you have an actual conversion story. Like, you have an actual this thing happened to me, and I just ran towards it. You know, it's it's kind of not not like a thing. It's 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 incredible. It's an actual conversion story. It's really, really, in, really incredible that I desperately want her to tell people when she is comfortable with that. So I, I don't know if it should be me or if it should be like us or if it should be Shannon or I, I think I think Cameron would be great. I think her and Cameron would really get along well. 
but uh, I think she has a sto- I think she has a story that's worth telling. I know she was real into that Jennifer Fullwiler for a bit, mm-hmm. so I'm like, I wonder if maybe I can find a way to get her. On. I, don't, I don't know if she even I don't know if Jennifer. I know she does. I'm communist. I don't, I don't know if this is even her thing anymore. But it, yeah, it's a story that's I think worth hearing because it's just it's it's insane. She went from you know just a typical you know twenty. Two year old in two thousand and um and seven to like a Carmelite nun in like three years. I'm sorry, sorry. I should I should clarify a novice. I think too because that was right around the time that my mom was relatively cleared from cancer. Mm. So there was kind of a I think in the back of my brain too there was like a collective like okay everything is finally back to normal, and I do think there is um something too about just finally being. It's not that I was, you know, had been uncomfortable up until then, though I think I have plenty of friends who would say, Luke, you are not, i.e. Um, Maggie. <laughs> there is something about where you just kind of hit this pinnacle, and it's like I'm finally – when you're just comfortable with your life and everything kind of seems to be in balance, it's a wonderful place to be in. And to be able to, like, acknowledge that and be like, oh, I really appreciate this. Thank you, God. And, and, and I think I had that in 2000 – sorry, this is my point. When we were in, um, there's been a couple times where I've really experienced, I kind of had like a quiet moment where I'm like, I love everything about this. Like one was when we were on that trip out in Buffalo. Who else was there? And Marty, I feel like, oh, Jared George was there. And it was, it was, it was, it was fun. And we went to the Heinz at some like beach house or something somewhere up in Canada. And we went there because we could drink. This is why we went. I remember standing on like a rock, like right by all of the waves and kind of going off by myself for a minute, having a Heineken, be like, I'm drinking <laughs> and just kind of having a quiet a moment being like, I really love my life and I'm really blessed to be able to be where I am right now. And just kind of having like a moment with God I was like, this is I'm like, I'm just here. There isn't anyone around by the ocean. This is pretty damn cool. Did you ever have any moments like that when you were out in Europe? Yeah, I had these like Salzburg was my jam. And mm. I went with my group of people, and when we were doing our thing, walking the streets of Salzburg, even you know, w- without like having to go to a bar or do whatever, just with this group of people that you know you can, you're just totally yourself, and you're doing something so radically new, like walking the streets of a city in a completely different country exploring every inch of it like we walked and walked and walked i wish the like the apple watch was invented back then just so i could track all the steps that we did when we were in europe but the the like i can remember distinctly this one night where we get off the train and it was a little bit later than we had hoped everything was dark and we had no idea where we were going and this like 15 16 year old kids like what you american we're like, yeah, and he goes, well, what's, what's going on? So we start talking, and I had forgotten that in America there's curfew for younger kids and not there. And so it's like 1130 at night, and he's showing us where the a local American tavern is in Salzburg. He walked with us for like 15 minutes, and uh, but we're just – it was like – I, I want to say it was the first weekend where we weren't with the school, and you could go on your own. And I was with this group of people that, you know, I knew half of them really well, and I knew the other half barely at all. And we were just, it was, you know, I mean, the girls were pretty, the beer was delicious, and I'm in Europe. Like, there was (laughs) nothing, I'm in Europe on loan money. Everything was perfect. (laughs) You know, I didn't have to earn jack. I just consumed, you know. 
But I mean, it was it was incredible. It was like the rawness of experience, and I, I loved every moment of it. And it's again one of those things where you uh, the things just connect. Everything connects. Mm-hmm. I'm and trying to think the- of another another time where where I was just in that. It's like it's like a um, a, a repose, right? Like time itself seems to just like cradle you like a baby, and you're like, "This is it. This is awesome. This things are connecting. Things are going well. Yeah. I love this." Rest and repose. Before we go into the next topic, let's take a moment and talk about our sponsor, Rooted. Rooted for good. That's right. My wife loved the Rooted for Good products last time when they sent us samples that we spent all the advertising money on buying additional products. What is Rooted for Good? Premium all-natural ingredients that feel and smell wonderful and actually work. One time, when in an effort to save money, my wife made soap and such, and it uh, didn't last. didn't last because uh, it was gross. <laughs> so these premium all-natural ingredients actually are wonderful and actually work. Love them. 10% off every purchase. Get this. Not just 10% of the profits. This is a very different, bold commitment on the part of Rooted for Good. Goes to uplifting the poor in developing communities. 10% of every purchase. Amazing skincare products for both men and women. You got bath soaks, you got sugar scrubs, as well as therapeutic grade essential oils and diffusers. And let me tell you, I have them in my office because someone criticized my office at work as, quote, smelling like boy. So now I am, in fact, diffusing this stuff and it is amazing. Now it's the Christmas season. Tis the season, my good friends. Rooted has incredible gift sets to treat your loved ones to, not just yourself, although you should also get it for yourself with gift packaging options i don't know if you're like me and you don't know how to wrap presents they do it for you also so many of the rooted products are perfect stocking stuffers like your favorite essential oil fragrance or their amazing hand cream made from real beeswax and frankincense get you in that holiday mood where do you find this stuff you go to foxes.com rootedforgood.com you'll get 10% off your purchases that's foxes.rootedforgood.com perfect timing for the holidays thanks to the fine folks over at rooted for good for sponsoring this episode of catching foxes i remember being out in the vat so they okay so you know how there's that like one line in st peter's square that basically says here's on like one side of it is the vatican it's kind of like a half like oval line one side the vatican and then and then it is rome and at night they put up a fence and you can't can't I mean, you can. It's very easy to just to just hop over it. But the idea is like, okay, this is not open any anymore. And there were like four or five of us there, and I just remember having this thought of like, we are the only people in St. Peter's Square. <laughs> like, this is entirely empty except for us. Like, one of the most important, if not, you could argue, the most important spot in the world. We're there, and no one else is. And I don't know why, but it moved me to my core of, like, how I had this sort of weird epiphany almost about how much of the world you can actually partake in in a special personal way that things because like I, I had a really powerful experience at the vatican because you know so you go to rome when you're out i don't know when they do it now out with out um at franciscan but when we went it was 
you know, kind of like the beginning of the end, like the last, I'm um, third, the last, I'm um, fourth of your time there is when you go. So you've, you're well established in like how to travel, you know your group, but at that point in time, the last thing you want to go to is another castle. You have seen almost everything and you are start. and in my experience, I was tired of being a visitor. It kind of starts to creep in and like, okay, am I ever going to just be at a place that just feels like home besides the Cartaza? But everything just, you know, you get kind of tired of just like new thing after new thing after after like a um, new thing. And it's just like, uh, and it's just months of that. And as soon as we get to the, uh, St. Peter's Square, to me, that felt like home. I don't, I have, I was shocked by that. I was shocked because I, I wasn't expecting that because you just, and it just felt so familiar. And I had been to places that I had seen like a, billion times on tv or in books or whatever and there was just something about it and i truly believe this is one of the reasons why i like believe the church is the church because i'm like i just don't know how to how is it that i'm in this thing on the other side of the world and i'm like yeah 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 this is mine i belong here i'm a part of this i had this experience at the vatican while we were just the only people there like there was like there were um five of us so these two like uh drunk guys came and started to talk with us because we had girls with us uh, and like you know, like it was, it was like two girls. It was like Liz Forrest and uh, uh, Lily. So like, of course, they're gonna stop and try to untalk to them. So yeah, no kidding. So, but during that, like before that, like so, like we're there, and the world felt so unbelievably personal. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if this is making sense at all. But because you go and I love there's it. this profound, huge thing that like everyone when they see it, everyone knows what that is. And you're the only ones that are there. And there are hundreds and there are like millions of people who are there almost every day or who are going through there every um, year who are just seeing it on TV. You know, it's just it's such a well-known thing. And, and for whatever reason, at that point in time, we're the only human beings who were there. It helped me understand that. I am a major part of of like the world, and and I, I I mean like like we all are, but like we're all. I'm not doing I'm not doing this even like for like for more like justice, but it was this it was kind of this experience of like it made it personal of of but like but it, it not just like this spot, but existence itself could be personal. I don't know. Does, it, does that even make sense? Keep going. I like it. It was almost as if God was just like, everything that is mine is yours. Yeah. And this all exists for all of you. And not in like this sort of like fake sense of like, this is for everyone. It's like you can have like a moment where you're one of the only people in one of the most important spots on planet Earth. Like I've kind of had the same experience when I've been at the Capitol. I mean. <laughs> Most of the time, that's been um drinking. But we're like me and Marty, like walking across the Capitol, the wall, <laughs> and being like, "Okay, we're the only ones here right now." Is that kind of weird? Like the capital of the, the of the United States is the only point. Like right now, the only people who are on like the front part of it are these two kind of buzz guys from Franciscan University in Steubenville. You know, and, and like it's just this thing of like the world can be experienced. Um, in a very personal way, and like that means that every possibility is now available to you. It's not always just this um, thing that I consume that's the same for everyone. Like it can be made. You can the world can be accessed and can be made. I think like 
being a person of faith opens you up to things like this where you understand that um, we have like on a personal like a a um that as the like as like a human being you can actually experience profound stuff in the world that's all kind of geared towards you and I, I don't mean that in like a selfish way i just i mean that in a no one else here is experiencing this but us and that's insane if you kind of I'm sorry, think about it like it's insane that we are able to have these tiny things where these huge profound things we can have a moment where we are in adoration just with our lord and it is just him and me like how crazy is that I, I think it shows like what, but like the type, the type of intimacy that like people can ex, can experience. Have you ever read C.S. Lewis's Surprised by Joy? You know, I actually haven't. He, it's his autobiography, his spiritual journey. But he talks about these moments, like Surprised by Joy. Like th- there are these times in the ordinary human life where eternity seems to break in. And these constant, the, the experience of passing moments at one moment, th- there's this time where one moment seems to stretch on and on and on. And when you, it's like the experience of pure joy. And that experience is so uh, ineffable, right? You can't like put words on it. You can't grasp it. And he says like the time when you try to wrap your hands around it, that's when it starts to flee away. Like when you get those sense of like, this is awesome. And then the moment you become too like self-absorbed, it like disappears. But it's this beautiful uh, at one mint with the world, like, or with the creator, or you feel the eyes of the creator upon you. It, it's, it's amazing. Like you feel like, I, I liked how you were describing it where you said the world felt so unbelievably personal. And you start to think about that, like, the God of the universe is addressing me mm-hmm. or us right here, not the world, not an abstraction, not a bunch of things, but like right here, right here, the face of God is bearing upon me. I don't know. I think that's a cool way that you're, you're kind of like grasping around this, but that was C.S. Lewis's thing. Like joy is this intense breaking in into the temporal of the eternal and the moment you try to cling to it it escapes you but like when you're in it time itself almost doesn't seem to have meaning like it yeah. disappears yeah it it's 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 not a part of the cognition of what you're doing like this one priest told me this story this is one of my favorite stories of a priest father james jackson out in denver fssp he's my confirmation sponsor and when i was homeschooled in oklahoma he ran this thing and it was a homeschool co-op thing and he told this story about this time when he went to go to Fatima as a priest. And he was a newly ordained priest, I think, or relatively. And he goes out there and he goes to Fatima and he gets put in this, like, hotel that's really close to the place. And he wakes up early and it's like five in the morning and he does this long pilgrimage walk to the place. And he kneels down in the grotto, in the Fatima grotto, and he begins to pray the rosary. And he said it was the most beautiful, heartfelt, joyful rosary I've ever prayed. And he said it was a little misty that morning, it was the beginning of winter. And he said, when I finished praying the rosary and I did the sign of the cross, I heard this really loud cracking noise. 
And I was like, what is that noise? And he looked at his rain jacket that he was wearing, his jacket that he was wearing, and the mist in the air, basically, you know, it was really foggy or whatever, had turned to ice or frost on his jacket that he had been perfectly still for like two hours. Holy cow. And he had no idea. And the first time he moved is when he was doing the sign of the cross and he was cracking the ice or frost that had formed on his jacket. Hmm. And he said it was this moment of like perfect union with God and Our Lady and all this stuff. So then he tells the story that the following year he was asked, well, now that you've gone to Fatima, would you be our our um, tour guide? He's like, absolutely. And he can't wait to get And it's like the hotel screwed up his reservation. The the power went out in the room that he was in. His alarm clock didn't go off so that he was late. He wasn't just late for – so he wanted to recreate the event, and nothing that he did could recreate the event. So he rushes out to the church or to the grotto to pray, but he's 15 minutes late for Mass, and he's con-celebrating. So he gets there. They started Mass without him, so now he can't even do Mass. So he's, like, all bummed, and he just tells me, he's like, you can't chase after joy. You can only receive it. And that that, that story, I mean, I heard that story when I was 17 years old, and it stuck with me. I, I mean, I truly believe that those moments where time seems to no longer, like, I want to say stand still, but that's not it. I want to say, you know, maybe speeds up, but that's not it. It's like, it just doesn't matter. Eternity breaks in. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. And then that's, that's, hmm. And that's what C.S. Lewis says is joy. And you're always surprised by it. Um, yeah, it, and and that's why I think like what is so. That's why I, I love traveling, and I traveling's a way to experience that on steroids a, a bit, because you just have those random things that happen where it's just like you know, like hey, here I am in one of the most important um, places in the world, having a profoundly personal experience of it that I that I will never probably happen again, and, and I'm lucky to experience this. But the it's kind of funny how. We experience that while we travel, and if you view the parish, like the idea of a parish, right? That doesn't like the name itself come from a place you stop at during a pilgrimage, right? No, it means the. Okay, no, <laughs> no, not at all, dumbass. <laughs> no, the word parish. Uh, what is it? You just say it's the same word. What? Nah, I'm like, yeah. I don't care what it means then. <laughs> that doesn't oh, prove my okay. point. Sorry. No, but like, isn't that at some point in time a way that people like view a parish or a church? Mm, Son of a bitch. Bursa said something about that one time. I don't remember. I don't know. All right, where does the word parish come come from? It, it just basically means like territorial division district. It comes from the Greek. Well, okay. It comes from the Greek sojourning. Beside dwelling, so like a, a place you go while on a journey. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay, see, see. Thanks for ruining everything. Wow, man. Now you sound like my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow your mom and Shannon. Yeah, there you go. Here, sorry, that was a low blow. I'm sorry. No, no. Yeah, but you. it was still true. Facts don't care about my feelings, Luke. And now let's take a break from Luke's rambling to talk about our friends over at Choose Life. That's ChooseLife.com. Their mission is to grow devotion to the rosary. They have silicon rosaries for little ones, beautiful gemstone rosary bracelets for women, and simple wooden rosary bracelets for manly men. 
We design our rosary so that it can be possible every single person to pray the rosary each day, regardless of how young they may be or how busy their lives are. Rosaries and more amazing products can be found on their website, ChooseLife.com. Every Friday of November, they are launching new products and offering promotions leading up to their big Black Friday sale. November 19th, they are winter collection launch limited edition products, including brand new silicon rosaries, gemstone rosary bracelets, and more. So what you want to do is use the code CATCHINGFOXES10, all one word, for 10% off your purchase. That's CATCHINGFOXES10 for 10% off your purchase. Thank you to our good friends over at Choose Life, of which both me and Luke and Dave Van Vickle are big fans of and a purchase of stuff for our friends on our own. So thank you all at ChooseLife.com for sponsoring this show. It's okay. Can I tell you about something else that's stupid? The alien TV show Invasion is not great. <laughs> what else is Gomer mad about? <laughs> this week in Gomer oh. gets mad about pop culture. Yeah, man. I, me and Shannon are into the Apple TV shows. We're trying to wade in. Yeah, you really are. And Foundation comes out every Friday, so we're watching the Friday shows. But then uh, sometimes we want to watch them. So I said, hey, there's that. you wanted to watch it. I thought it was a movie. It's a television show called Invasion. And here's the thing I love about Apple TV, and here's the thing I don't like about it. Number one, they pace themselves. So all of the shows that I think are incredible on there that I've seen, which is not a lot, For All Mankind, Foundation, um, they don't have a problem taking their time to let you understand the characters, the plot, the motivation, right? So they're not in a hurry, which I love. To me, that's the Netflix HBOification of television, right? Like, we're going to take this thing that would probably be a movie, and we're going to make six hours worth so that we can pace ourselves the way it needs to be. But the problem is with Invasion, when I get to the end of a show, I'm like, you know, it's about aliens invading, and it's really, like, weird. And I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, I could do a lot less with these characters and let's move on to the plot. Like me and Shannon just watched three episodes, one one night and then two back to back last night. And both of us had the same thought. These if if you you could have easily have shortened these shows into 30 minutes and had it be an hour and a half one episode because there was so much slowness and. You know, it's the point where, like, so this husband's cheating on his wife, and that's kind of, like, the backdrop for these two characters. But in it, it's like, okay, I, I don't need to see her face for the 500th time about how shocked he is that he's a dirty, rotten scoundrel. Like, come on, director, let's move on. But it's like this lingering shot on, what, what? Or angry face or whatever. And you're just like, okay, move on. I don't care. Look, let's move. It's the first time where I actually thought good character development was getting in the way of the story. And it just it just broke my damn brain. So the alien TV show Invasion is not great. I give it three out of five. Um, Still cool, like the concept, but no good, no better than three. I need a TV show to watch eventually because I'm almost done with uh, grad school for the semester. I'm only taking one class next spring, which I'm very excited about. I'll have only one class and I'll have some more time. And me and Aaron are going to try to pick up a show again. We haven't had a show in a while. Uh, I've been listening to the Band of Brothers podcast from HBO. It's with uh, one of the guys from the Men in Blazers, which is a podcast that I used to love. Uh, it's super good. And they're like, and they're, it's the 20th anniversary of Band of Brothers, so that's wild. And they interview, like, in each episode, it's either, like, a cast guy. It's either one of the guys who was who was in the cast 
or like they they've had a writer and one of the uh, or and or a writer or director from the show, and it's been super fascinating. So it's made me want to go and rewatch it. I uh, rewatched the first two episodes this past week, and uh, such a phenomenal show! Holy cow! It really it re- is. Like you know, one of my greatest Austria moments is in I think it's episode nine or ten, the last two of mm-hmm. the series. They go to um, is that Amstetten? No, not Amstetten. I don't remember. The, they go the death, to which death camp was, but yeah, it's the penultimate episode. No, 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 no. It's not the camp. It's not the camp. Oh, nope, nope. Sorry, never mind. A, never no, mind. it's it's. I think it was Hallstatt, and it's a glacier lake in the Alps. And I was there, and Captain Winters would go swimming oh, oh, every by, morning um, in the glacier lake. Hitler's uh, Eagles Nest. Yes, Eagles Nest. Right? Thank you, thank you. Yeah, and i i was i was literally feet in the water about to strip down into my boxers and go for a swim and i couldn't do it it was so cold but we want to do it because when we were in austria is uh like the semester after that had been released so we either had dvds of it or downloaded it illegally and uh thank you morpheus and limewire yeah I remember it was a DVDs because it, it came out in 2001 and 2002 and you didn't go until 2004. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. It was, I mean, but it was the, just being on that glacier lake and staring at the water and being like, this is amazing that real American soldiers were here at the end of the war. And it like, it connected you to history. It was just cool. It was just, cool. yeah, no. And it's, it's a phenomenal TV show. I do. Um, it's just such a, um, it's cool to hear like a lot of stories too about how the guys were like how they bonded with the guys that they were playing because at that point in time you know they're all either in, in their seventies or in, in their eighties and yeah. all of them have passed away now but it um, that is a crazy thing to have for someone to do yeah I met a guy uh, who was coming to my church for his marriage packet he's getting his marriage convalidated and he was wearing a hat and you know Veterans Day was on the eleventh and I see him. And uh, I go, here you go, sir. I think I got your packet. This is you. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's me and my wife. And I said, oh, awesome. I said, you're getting your marriage convalidated? And he goes, yep, yep, yep. Married for 20 years. Got to get right with the church. And I was like, oh, it's beautiful. And I said, unfortunately for you, in about a month, you're going to see me because I teach all the classes. And he was like, ah, ha, ha, that'll be great. And I looked at his hat and it said, uh, Ranger, Army Ranger, mm-hmm. veteran, Vietnam, 82nd Airborne. And I said, wait, you were a, you were a Ranger? And he looked at me, he goes, uh, yeah, yeah, the 82nd Airborne, I was a ranger. He's like, now they're all like units and all that stuff. But he's like, back then we were just, we were just the rangers. And I was like, that's really cool. I, uh, you know, my nephew, he's a combat medic in the army and he's really wants to be a ranger. And I was like, I was just at this summer camp, this Catholic summer camp that we take our kids to. And literally it's on the other side of these mountains is the ranger the ranger base in northern georgia and he goes oh my gosh i spent like six weeks out there and so we were talking a little bit about it and i said uh i said when you were a ranger did you he's like oh it's so different when i was there than when you know these kids these days i said did you memorize robert's rules of ranging and he like looked at me and he got super serious and he goes yeah and i go i read science fiction books about rangers in in, in outer space so I just looked at him and said, uh, uh, a ranger must be ready before first light, for that is when the French and Indians attack. 
And he goes, that's it. That's it. I had to memorize every one of those. French and Indians. Oh, Robert's rules are ranging. So we just started chit-chatting about that. But I just, it was this funny little moment where I'm like, I read books about rangers and I love them. Can we talk? And he was like, looking forward to class with you. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and then afterwards, afterwards, I, I hope at the end of my class, I'm going to go, so Jesus commanded us to remember. And I want him to walk up to me and say, I ain't forgotten nothing because it's like a ranger. Thing. <laughs> I, ain't for, I ain't forgotten nothing. My grandfather was in the hundred and first. Oh, that's awesome. I don't remember which company he was in. I don't think it was easy. I don't. They, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I. It, I'm kind of mad. I, I should probably. Uh, D might know. I'll send her a text message, or my mom. I know, but. Uh, D might know, or my mom, whomever. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, or my grandmother, who I love dearly, I could just call her. Um, like, so, like, it was kind of funny because, like, a lot of the songs. No, he, he was in it, I mean, quite literally, like, 10 years after those guys were. The songs, like, he used to sing those songs a lot like, when we were kids. Like, the, um, which one is it? Like, oh, uh, gory, gory, oh, what a hell of a way to die. Like that. Like, I, he, I, <laughs> glory, yeah. glory, what a hell of a way to die. <laughs> yeah, like, I totally remember him singing that. And I, th- and I remember him telling me and thinking it was so freaking cool. And my grandmother, I guess, one time she went to one of their, like, practice jumps, and some guy died. <laughs> And she was like, I'm not going again. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> oh, good Lord. Yeah. 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 His ex- look out world. I'm coming through. His experience in that was nuts. Like, I, I remember one time him, like, I'm showing me his whole, like, he had a, like, a box that's, like, filled with stuff. And, uh, they, there was, like, one or two trips. I don't, he went to Panama. And then somewhere, like, I want to say, because he was based in Germany for a bit, I believe. And then they had him, like, fly over Africa or, or something. And he's like, then they just turned back and they said it was off and went, we never knew why. And I was like, uh. <laughs> like, what were you doing? And uh, uh, and then it's kind of like a random thing. He just, some guy, like, came up to the group and said, like, we need four cooks. And the guy just turns and goes, you, 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 you. And they just went off and had to be, like, the cooks for a bit. He's like, that sucked. Because <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, and it's just, it's just one of those things where it's like, you're in the wrong place. I mean, I'm not the wrong place, but, it's, you know, like, you think you're doing this, and then all of a sudden, they, like, they just need you to do something else. And because you're there, now you're doing that. Yeah. So... Yeah, yeah, I definitely, uh, it's funny, he, uh, um, my mom brought this up to me, uh, he, this, this happened a lot, so, like, you met him, so, like, he's a very, he had a very distinct look to him, he just carried himself well, and he would be at restaurants, and people would come up to him and go, I feel like I know you, are you in movies? Really? Yeah, yeah, it's happened, like, like, multiple times, and he told my mom that he thought it was because... When he was in the army, he had to have good posture, so he would just walk into a room. Well, he knew how to, and and he's just an outgoing, yeah, you know, kind of had a gargantuan personality. Just, but very easy to, um, easy to get along with for the most part. <laughs> uh, like, very very kind, uh, and just had a way about him. And people just, he just, you know, had good posture because of his, his experience in the army, and that just would draw people's attention. In uh, in my my science fiction book, the reason why I'm thinking of it is because the last, the newest book just came out, and I'm almost done with it. But I have to talk to you like a chump, and uh, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, I was telling you a long time ago, like they have these parts where they write something so well, it's like 
it, it's incredibly moving. Like they, their kind of specialty, Jason and Spock and Nicole, their specialty is they can write really, really detailed battle scenes that are like technically accurate but also engrossing if you like that sort of thing they they still keep the human element you're drawn into it so there was um there was a series of books that talk about the the first major war against the savages and it's this crazy story but um the third book in the series it's told from the perspective of an old war vet who's being brought back to this place of victory where the legion barely won it reminds you of the beginning of um, Saving Private Ryan, where mm. the old man is with his daughters, and they're going back to visit the war memorial yeah. and the grave site, yep. and um, and then it ends with him. So the and the for all I know, the authors were like deliberately trying to channel that, but it's this you know he's he's really grumpy and he's pissed off at everyone, and he you know he's missing a leg from the war, and a lot of the old lieges who are you know missing limbs they don't want to get you know get them fixed or anything you know with the future like cybernetics and stuff they just like no this is what i gave for for the world to be or the galaxy to be better but the the way that they tell the story like because it's made up of a battle that didn't really happen and it's science fiction futuristic stuff when they talk from this old man's perspective it's almost like it gives you permission in a bizarre way to tap into the like to get behind the eyes of a of an old old veteran yeah yeah right yeah because he like he's longing he hates himself that he's still alive when his closest friends are dead he sees the legionnaires that he hasn't seen in 60 years and immediately they're best friends even though they didn't know each other right they they had that experience of fighting there and immediately you know, they bring that up. He is constantly frustrated at being called a hero over and over again, where he's like, quit calling me a hero. I just survived. The ones who died were the heroes. Pin the medal on them. You know, like that kind of like anger yeah. towards us civilians yeah. who just don't get it. I'm like, thank you for your service. And he's like, shut up. The only reason why you're saying that is to get rid of your conscience and your guilt for not serving. And you know, like, the intensity of it. Well, at the very end, it's funny that you say what you said, because at the very end of the story, and this is so stupid, I can't believe I'm admitting it. Maybe it's the beer, but uh, I was walking around my block and I literally got choked up because I think of when I'm hearing this man, I'm hearing my grandfather tell about the Pacific Theater, you know, and how they like they get that thousand mile stare in their mm -hmm. eyes. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that part of them is reliving the memory. And part of them doesn't want to go back to that memory because of all the horror. And the authors just nailed this final scene. And the final scene actually involves an actor. And this actor wants to play the part of, they're, they're remaking a, a war movie, right? And the actor is just out walking around and he sees this old man. But the actor looks like the great general war hero. And the old man in his confusion thinks that he is. And he like spills his guts to the guy and he's like i ain't forgot nothing i did everything you said i'm sorry i couldn't bring our boys home and he's like crying as he's telling this to this man and the man is just yeah you know acting the general and doing all this stuff and said you know you did good soldier it's time to go go and rest you did your job and the guy leaves and he has no idea that he wasn't talking to general rex he was just talking to an actor who's going to play him 
And this, it, it's, it's like so funny because they keep bringing that up. They bring up the things like when these men walk into a room, everyone knows the difference between, you know, a legionnaire who fought and just an average guy. When they walk into the room, everyone in the room knows, like, those guys are the most confident men in the in the building kind of thing. It's funny that you said that because you tied, like, the actor and the, the man huh, who yeah. did some shit and saw some shit. But the, the story ends with the old man's granddaughter coming up to him and finding him in the hotel lobby and as the actor's bringing him in. And he goes upstairs and she puts him to bed and she comes down and she's like, like, thank you. That was very sweet what you did, you know, all this stuff. And he said, oh, no, 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 you, you don't understand. Your grandfather saved my life because I was a little kid here. Oh, wow. And that's why I sold my home in order to, more, you know, I mortgaged everything to pay for this movie because they saved my life. And this is the smallest debt I can do. And then he, like, salutes her and all that stuff. And, and then Gomer cries. But <laughs> I cry all the time now. Um, it's incredibly, it is incredibly amazing how um, really good writing can actually Mm -hmm. create these like it's so it's stupid like what i'm saying like uh, future science fiction blah 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 but when when authors can create a story where the humanity comes through it almost doesn't it it doesn't matter what the setting or scenario like like those two characters were so unbelievably human at that point and i felt like i now understand my grandfather better like it's such a weird mm-hmm. thing, but that's honestly what. And as you were telling that, I was like, "Oh, now I feel like I know Luke's grandfather a little bit better." You know, I don't know. It's just weird. All right, I'm super excited about this new sponsor. All right, all guess guess what? The nerds don't own the scapulars now. You. Yes, I'm talking you, super hip, cool individual, deserve a scapular as strong as your devotion. Don't be caught dead with that one. I'm serious. Uh, For every individual scapular purchased on this site, scapulars.com, that's scapulars.com. So for every individual scapular purchased on their site, they will give away one free to an elderly person who needs it. Oh, my God. Beautiful. It's all part of their mission to vest the world. Holy crap. Everyone right now, we all know how much we love old people. Go buy a a scapular from scapulars.com right now. The scapulars are strong, super durable, American-made core that makes the scapular the sturdiest in the world. In fact, if it wears out from normal use, they'll replace it for free. Guys, this place is amazing. The scapulars are soft. A scapular isn't a half shirt, people. It doesn't have to feel itchy or uncomfortable. They use super soft Australian, so you know it's American and Catholic, Monero, let's just say Monero wool, so it feels more like a warm hug from your mother than a tough penance. This is great. Everyone loves a good hug from Patty. The scapulars are innovative. The original size scapulars patent pending, patent pending, design includes a pocket for your sacred metals so they don't wear down or break the cord. Is this the greatest company in the world? Their goal with scapulars.com was not just to create the most durable and comfortable scapular ever made, though they're very proud of that fact. They exist to share the devotion of the brown scapulars so as to place all Catholics under the protection of Our Lady. If there's anything that we, we need right now, it's to be more like and be under the protection of the Blessed Mother. So let me tell you a bit about Steve, the guy who started scapulars.com. He and his family have a strong devotion to Our Lady and the brown scapular, but their cheap, flimsy scapulars kept breaking or irritating their skin. Uh, understandable. And with nine kids, good gosh, way to go. The cost was adding up. So he did up something about it and created scapulars.com. Your purchase of two or more scapulars, they ship for free. So everyone, buy it for yourself, buy it for the elderly person who needs it. This is a wonderful company. Take advantage of, of what they're doing. Again, go buy it. A really cool, awesome scapular from scapulars.com. Tell them the Catching Foxes sent, sent you there. We're so excited to have them as a sponsor. I hope I'm pronouncing scapulars right. And uh, yeah, thank, thank you again to scapulars.com for 
being a sponsor on today's episode of Catching Foxes, America's ninth favorite Catholic podcast. No, no, I think that's a really good point because one of the um, things about the book, uh, Amusing Ourselves to Death, to talk about why the written word is so powerful, is it's that. You get you get that depth of understanding and that depth of, um, I mean, even in a nonfiction book, yeah. experience and knowledge. And so, like, I, so I, you know, when I finished that, you know, nine, I actually, uh, it was on Audible, but I uh, did a bit of research. It's like a 983-page biography. Yeah. I was kind of sad to leave Eisenhower. Like, I was sad when he died in the book. Right. Because it's just like, yeah. you spend all, you know, I basically learned everything about, not everything, but like a, a lot about this man's life. And I honestly, when I, I think, I'm sorry if I brought this up when I talked about this the other week, but like, I always pray for their souls after they die. Whenever I hear a biography, I do the, you know, eternal rest grant, grant unto them, O Lord, because you, it feels very personal because you've learned so much about them. That's the advantage that I think the written word has over pretty much anything else because within a play, plays a good kind of a happy medium between a book and like a visual medium. But then in a TV show, especially in a TV show, but definitely in a definitely in a movie as well, it's just too fast. And you're not able to just kind of like sit there and just absorb it. Some films are better at that than others. Like I'm talking to you, Terrence Malick, but like where it's like, here's an hour long of just this shot. Um, <laughs> I'm like it's beautiful. Now there's a dinosaur, but you know, but like that, like that's the kind of the power of the word is you get that depth, and not only is the fact that you can kind of stop and think, but you you have the space to kind of go as deep and as expansive as you want. I'm talking to you, J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah. So speaking of which, subject shift. Um, I've been reading epilogue a lot from uh, Hans Urs von Balthasar. The best, right? Because. Re- yeah, and rereading that one section where he mentions explicitly the anima technica vacua, right? The the soul of technology is empty. I keep coming back to that paragraph, and I've copied and pasted it and sent it in text messages on emails probably 30 times since our conversation. And it hardened in my heart like, like Gormley, this is the problem. This is the problem. And when I go back and read it, like he's saying, he's commenting on a thing from Hans Meyer or whatever, saying, you know, how can you reach the, how can Europe pass on its legacy when kids are watching five to six hours a week of television? And they wrote that in the 80s. And now it's like we consume 10 hours of media a day, not a week, but a day. And you see this, and Hans Urs in, in, Epilogue puts in parentheses, hand on the legacy, and then he wrote, or a faith, or and a faith. And then he said, so what are the touch points, right? Uh, Rapping on a table, a seance, some Zen meditation, you know, whatever it was. Um, Enough. (laughs) Yeah, enough. Blunt ending. I know. (laughs) Is that the German influence coming out there? (laughs) Nine? (laughs) Nine. (laughs) So I kept. I kept reading that and rereading that. And then I, you know, was reading the rest of the book. I'm about now halfway done with it. So I go to life night on Saturday, Sunday, and I have the freshmen separated out from the rest of the group, the way we do life team now. And I call life team year one and I'm talking with them and I'm just going to do, I'm like, I need to slow these kids down. And so this is my great insight. you ready for this, Luke. This is my great insight. This is all I got in the enlightenment. And this is, this is, 
pretty common accepted philosophical opinion. The Enlightenment reduced religion to morality or as validation or the home of morality. Mm -hmm. And that's basically it. When religion or Christianity is nothing but a moralism, spirituality is almost nothing more than sinning less and less. Right. Mm -hmm. So the good so the ideal of living this like spirit filled life is just don't sin as much as you did last week. And that's it. And so if sin if like getting rid of sin is my only definition of spiritual growth, because religion is really nothing more than the divine lawgiver giving me his moral law and that's it, then it ceases to be life giving. It becomes almost what Saint Paul says about the Mosaic Law, right? It can only give the command, but it can't give life. And then you look at all these people. So we get rid of the spirituality component, the thing that gives life and the mysticism and the contemplation, the meditation. We get rid of all of that. And then, as Fulton Sheen said, we get rid of it. The world picks it up. You know, we put down our rosaries. The hippies put it around their necks, right? That's what Sheen said. And <laughs> I think about this when it comes to the anima technica vacua. Who is leading the charge against technology that's consuming our souls? The people who are leading the charge are people like Sam Harris. Right. You got to you got to meditate. You know, he has a spirituality for atheists. You got to meditate. You got to do all this, you know, like self-awareness stuff. And um, yeah, we call mindfulness meditation and they're doing meditation and we're not teaching anyone how to engage in mental prayer. So I was like, you know what? Screw this for the first just part of life night. I'm going to just slow things down, turn off the lights, uh, you know, get the kids settled and get them to see the seriousness of an always-on life and always connected and always plugged in. And so I just talked about this, and I, uh, it, was, it was called Slow Down Prayer Time. And all I wanted was for them to just be comfortable with silence. So I started talking about it, and I was like, it's it is literally impossible for you to have intimacy with God when you surround yourself with noise. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I loved Exodus 90. It was like it kind of took away a lot of that noise, but I still found ways that were compliant with that Exodus 90, but still noise. And I realized like access to 30 million songs at the drop of a hat versus a record player, that conversation that we were having with Matt Frad at Luddite 90, right? Like the the T ritual of listening to a record is in a sense so much more holistic and respectful of the music. Hold on one second. Could you just repeat that again? What? What you just said? I said the the tea ceremony of listening to a record mm -hmm. is almost more holistic than consuming it individually, like in these thirty million songs. Huh. I'm going to listen to this track and yeah, then that track. And yeah, then... I'm trying to remember if someone yeah. has said that on this show before. Let me think here. Now we've both agreed. Let me think here. We've both <laughs> agreed here. that listening to, to no, 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 no. Please, I'm glad that you get paid to um say this to the people. No, no, keep, keep on going. We both agreed <laughs> in our conversation about vinyl that you're consuming it as an album, as a whole, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Whereas today, like the problem with music today is also its joyful benefit is that if I don't want to listen to these eight shitty filler tracks when really I want the three pop songs, let me just use the three. Not if it's folklore. But, right. And well, I've never listened to that one. So and not good. if it's, I know. And not if it, I just listened to 
the Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett album. Oh, nice. From beginning to end while I did dishes. There's a lot of songs I don't think are good at all. <laughs> I don't like Lady Gaga doing that, but that might just be me. Um, everyone else seems to like it. Um, but it, it was this notion of, it's not just the notion of having this vinyl. Well, one, it's a physical object. It's not liquid modernity, right? It's not the yeah. software yeah. that can be taken from yep. me. And two, it's the fact that this physical object in my in the space in my life, like I have to accommodate it. I have to have a thing that plays it. Whereas my phone, which does a trillion things, can also do a trillion and one. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Here's just another thing. This where and this big bulky turntable, all this stuff. So I don't own a turntable. I've yes, I began looking at them. Yes, but do um, it, do and it, it's all it, Joey. It, it, it's it, all it, Joey. It. I will, but it's all Joey Muck. He was walking me through like why he likes it. And he goes, he actually said, Gormley, you're right when you were arguing with Luke. It is a tea ceremony. He's like, but it's awesome. Yes. And it makes it more it's enjoyable. Point. And it sounds better, too. Yeah, that's that's where I disagree. But Kevin um, Hyder and me both agree. So right, well, Kevin's dumb. He doesn't know anything about music. Unlike me, who have listened to a podcast. <laughs> but so I'm just saying, I was trying to teach the teens, you got to slow the hell down. And everything is bent on on distracting you constantly with this dull buzz in the background, robbing yeah. you of your voice and robbing you of your ability to see and to hear, which is one of the phrases they use in epilogue. And the crazy thing was that was just the beginning. Then, you know, we did the opening prayer where I just it was mostly silence, solitude, stillness and silence and three S's. And then I went into the topic, which is belief in the church. And I just gave the, one of the worst talks I've ever given, honestly. I had core members come up to me saying that was the best small group experience they've had because all they talked about was the opening prayer and the conversation around. Hmm. They talked and because they're like, yeah, I feel this way. And I was just talking with our youth minister. He had to sit in on a group, and the boys were he in, in an all-boys group, and he, they were talking and he goes, guys, just listen to yourselves. And they're like, what? And he's like, I can feel the anxiety, the anxiousness of you guys right now. Like, I can feel this in the room. And a lot of these guys, like, for he said, for the first time, they just, like, shut up and dropped their pretense and just started listening and talking. And it was amazing because it's like the thing that they all know, but someone had to say it. And as long as no one was saying it, then they could all believe in the fiction that everything's okay. That that mm. just constantly consuming media all the time is actually okay. Mm -hmm. And it's not. It's not at all. And one of the things why I think reading I really need to get into is not just what you said, but also because it's harder, because it's slower, mm -hmm. because it demands more of an effort, but also brings you more of a calm. It calms you down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Right, and I'm seeing all this stuff. Like, listen to an audiobook, put it on double speed, take a walk. You know, you can do thirty. You can do the dishes while you're listening to an audiobook, and that's great, and that's part of the joy of it. But at the same time, that might be part of the problem. I don't know what's better if you read it just yourself, or if you because I do think there there is an element of the some. I, so, okay, so there's an author that I love. I talked about him way back when. Um, of course, I'm showing a blank on his name. There's a book, but I don't want to. Oh, yeah, it's called Lee Sandlin. He was a, for the most part, he wrote for the Chicago Tribune, I think. He uh, did a lot of, diff of um, different things, but the, his writing is so 
good and it's so much fun to read and it's so interesting and I don't know if that would translate well over as an audiobook. I'd be curious to see if that's the case still. Uh, but he just is a delight to read because he's just so good with words. But my only experience with that has been like when I've read it with my eyes. So I would be curious to see what it's like to hear it said back. Cause like if, if it's still, if that, if I've never really had that in the sense of, I don't know, but I, 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 there's not really any authors that I have both read their books and listened to the audiobooks or have listened to an audiobook of theirs. Um, it's either kind of like one or the other. So that's interesting. Have you found this is we're getting, it's getting kind of late here. So this might be too, too deep. And if you want to wait on this, actually, I actually, I might want to wait on, I might want to talk more about this later, but have you seen, cause I need to, it's been a while since I've read a lot of Balthazar. So have you seen anything that kind of implies that when he, cause like, obviously when he's talking about the Anima Technica of Vakwa in the beginning, he is, you know, he brings up the point about kids watching television, but have you seen anything in there where he's getting to this deeper aspect of technique isn't just technology, but how we go about uh, using tools now in the sense of, of like the idea of that, like action is more important than wisdom. I don't think I've gotten there yet. Okay. No, that doesn't stand out. And I don't know if some people, I don't know if that's the thing that, because like that's something that, that uh, Father John Nepple was going into on the first introduced idea. Uh, that's how I first heard about it back on Catholic stuff way back when. And, I would imagine there's a lot of like bringing a lot of his stuff together and being able to kind of see how it all connects there. And I've seen other people talk about that a bit as well. Of just you can kind of see when you put all of his works and you you know kind of take a step not a step back, but obviously, but if you you can see the threads and how it all kind of fits or to that idea. So, well, I think we got I think we got an episode. What do you think? Can I tell you one sad thing? Yeah, of course. That I would love your prayers for. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. You sure? You you want to talk about this off off air? I just I just want to make just a short comment. Okay. I feel like I need to say it out into the universe, okay. out into the uh, out into the not into the universe like I'm some weird word of faith person, but uh, they are. They will be burying the remains of my children tomorrow at 11 a.m. So if you think about it, Central Time, God's Time, 11 a.m., say a prayer for hope and perpetua. Benedict was passed naturally, but hope and perpetua's remains will be buried at Mount Olivet tomorrow in their baby land memorial in houston texas so i will not be able to be there but it's like an ecumenical prayer service it's not it's not a catholic committal so father david has said one day he will we will all go down there and Mm -hmm. he will do a catholic committal for for our kids but um yeah tomorrow Tomorrow at eleven AM. Yeah, man, absolutely. Ooh. That's really tough. I uh wrote it down as one of the things 
to talk about. I just wanted to mention it in the beginning, and then it was one of my two things. It was the second of two things, and I ended up having to, on my notes, push it all the way past the edge of the line so I wouldn't keep seeing it because it's, you know, you think you can say it. You've talked about it. Me and my wife have talked about yeah, it enough. Yeah. You never know how much more healing you have left and uh, our staff had to go on retreat this last tuesday our pastor got a got a priest and we all went out on retreat and uh he had this line at the end um of the retreat where he talks about embracing the cross and he said we don't love our crosses we don't love the cross we love christ jesus on the cross Mm -hmm. and that's a that's fundamental you know we don't love our suffering and pain for its own sake and then he said, and I, I loved this. He said, one, you can never encounter God's love without eventually encountering the cross. Because that's how God chose to manifest his love to the world. And then he said, and this is because, number two, when life doesn't make sense, when the pain is inscrutable, he said, when you face realities that are irreconcilable with what you know and believe about God. He said, when you face, and he called it the irreconcilable, when you face the irreconcilable, underneath, if you keep looking, underneath the irreconcilable is a face of Christ crucified. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the number one question devout Christians ask when suffering is, Come on, God, why me? Why is this happening? I'm so angry and I'm so hurt. And it's like, it, it doesn't make sense. Like, it's impo- it, 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 like, like the story of Job. Like, there's no understanding that's given as to why suffering. There's no understanding. The only understanding is Job sees God's face. Mm-hmm. And that, that's how it resolves. And he doesn't give him an answer. He does. He tells him that his friends lied about him, and his friends all said it's because you're a sinner that God's punishing you. And he's like, "I'm not. That's the problem. I'm not. I would agree with you, but I'm not." And so, in in the midst of all this, it was the face of God that Job saw that changed everything. And I just kept thinking about that, you know, on this retreat. And um, yeah, I had some stupid stuff happen during the retreat, and I I got so pissed off. And I just have this little journal that I was writing stuff down in. And then they asked at the very end, what did you get out of it? And I said that it was that that notion of when everything seems irreconcilable, underneath it is a face. And that's the face of Christ crucified. And yeah. Yeah, it's pretty it's I love the fact that I worship the crucified risen Savior. Von Balthasar said that the in the moment of Christian witness in the introduction. He says uh, that essentially that if you distill Christianity to its most essential point, it is the ineffable poverty of the divine, incarnate, crucified love. And it's true. It's true. 